today we've got uh, Dr. Bennett back with us. We've got Casey, our, our cinematographer friend, and we've got Brett joining us. Um, Brett Kane. It's a good group here we've got to discuss a uh, a movie that I love. So I mean, I'm get, 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 gonna get that right out in the open. But uh, this is one of my favorite movies. I've been pushing it on people for years. But before uh, before we get into it. Just want to see how you guys are all doing. Anything uh, new you guys are working on, or that people should uh, should be aware of? I just regular stuff for me. If, re, if uh, you want to read some books, this actually it feels like it, it could be part of my my book series because uh, both of the novels that I've written so far and and the next one coming out have to do with kidnapping and things like that and. Uh, yeah, so that that's about it for me. But I definitely want to hear what Dr. Ben and Casey are up to. Yeah, Ben, I think your second part of your story. Did we already talk about that? But the second part of your uh, your short story dropped, right? Oh, I oh my gosh, I totally flaked. I need to find to post the exciting conclusion. Um, I haven't done that yet. Um, other than that, we had a really great uh, conversation last Tuesday in the in the full group call about. Um, a post-secondary education thing that we're working on. And um, one of our guys this week, uh, you know, we, we had him in the hot seat uh, like a month or two ago trying to figure out where he wanted to be. He was a guy who had quit a, a pretty um, high-status software guy job to go try to be a tradesman. And he just got his first um, essentially like program manager job um, working uh working for a construction business. So that's cool. Uh, we sort of, uh, we sort of reached the, uh, hit the target, the, the near-term target anyway. Nice. So that's pretty exciting. Exitgroup.us. Yeah. Exitgroup.us. And for, for anyone who finds this, um, just randomly on like YouTube or something, um, Dr. Bennett here runs a group called exit where he helps people, uh, build a, a buffer between them and, and, uh, the man, yeah, I'll put the man. Yeah, helps you build some distance between yourself and the man. I'll put you know I'll put links in the in the comments and everything like that. Uh, this show, of course, appears. I, I I put it up on YouTube. I put it up on uh, Spotify and SoundCloud primarily. So that, that's the those are the main places you can find it. Okay, cool. Uh, good to good to hear everyone's doing well. Like I say, this is a we were talking today about uh, a movie called Prisoners from 2013. This is a movie. Like I say, I've been pushing this on a lot of people. Um, most everyone I've ever, ever told to watch it, liked it. Um, it's a, it's, I'd say it's, um, you know, it's a good, it's mostly a bro, not a bro movie, but it's uh, I, I think men tend to do a little better with this movie. It's, it's pretty intense. Um, uh, and like Brett alluded to, it's, it involves, you know, uh, kidnapping and that's, you know, it's gotta be one of the scariest or worst things that people could go through. So uh, but I think the movie is just incredible. We'll get into that. Uh, I, but before we do, I uh, wanted to just look at, well, first let's look at kind of the critical reception. I, I do the the Rotten Tomatoes guessing and I want, you guys should uh, take a stab at that and tell me what you think the uh, the critic score and the audience score were for this movie. Um, all right. So I'm going to say critical score is 92%, audience score um, 85%. All right, Casey's down for 92.85. All right, uh, Brett, what do you think? 
Man, Casey, you, you are so good at this. I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm going to, I'm going to go 90 and 90 for both. 90 and 90. Uh, so, so far you guys think this is a movie that critics would like and audiences would like, cause these are, these are good scores. And then uh, Dr. B, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say 95 critic and I'm actually going to say 80 audience. Um, okay, these are interesting responses. Now, I'd be curious to hear what some of your rationales are um, for for these scores. Uh, Bennett, Bennett, your yours had the biggest delta. So, what are you thinking? Well, I, now that I think about it, I think I'm wrong. But but um, I, I think it may actually be higher audience. You know what? Can I can I can I mulligan? Yeah, you can amend. You can change. Because um, I think that they're going to say that the violence is like gratuitous or uh, that it's like toxic masculinity. So mm-hmm. I'm actually going to, I'm actually just going to reverse it. 80 and okay. 95. 80, 95. All right. Okay. Anyone else wanted to say anything before I reveal the, the real numbers? I mean, my guess is, mostly based on the fact that I think this is a technically well-executed movie that um, movie people would like um, and that a general audience might not enjoy um, as much. I I saw a couple forum posts about this one time where people were just kind of ragging on it as being um, pretentious. Mm. And uh, so that's that was kind of the rationale for my score. Okay, so... Uh, on the critic score, Bennett wins, and it, it because of his last minute reversal. Oh. Critic score is eighty one, uh, and he said eighty, and then the audience score was eighty seven, and hey, Brett, hey. so Brett and Casey are or Casey's closest. He's at eighty five. So, um, so my yeah. original my original rationale was I thought it's a little bit too slow and maybe painful for mm-hmm. audiences. Um, but I actually think that, um, I, I think that an, an audience is more inclined to sympathize with, uh, Mr. Jackman than the critic. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, you I mean, cause the audience is more likely to have like children. Yeah, and and just more sort of uh, rhetorically comfortable with violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. once you mention that, now that I think about it, it a lot of the themes in this movie are certainly uh, opposed to popular, uh, I, I guess, critical mm, analysis. Yeah, this is twenty thirteen though, and uh, like kind of everything changed uh, in the last. Not everything, but everything. Everything is different than it was in. Uh, uh, 2013 um regarding box office this was kind of a success in terms of just straight roi it might be one of uh, uh villeneuve i'm just gonna call him villeneuve i think that that is about right 46 million dollars to make and uh and it made 122 so for for villeneuve i think that's one of the best rois he's had at least in, you know because his some of his bigger movies have just cost so much that they didn't didn't have as big of sure. a roi do you guys, how do you guys think this did at uh at, let's say the oscars do you think anyone got nominated for anything I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal had to have gotten nominated for something. Uh, he did such a good job. And Hugh Jackman, too. I mean, Hugh Jackman 
he he always knocks things out of the park. I mean, it was phenomenal uh, performances all around. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, even uh, the the lady who played the the bad guy, and uh, and what's his name? Who was just in Batman? He's Paul so Dano. good. He is. Yeah. He's, Paul Dano. Yeah. He his range is incredible. Uh, the first time I saw him was in uh, Night and Day with Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise, uh, and kind kind of a different character. But he he did amazing in this too. So yeah, I I think there had to have been some nominations at least. So uh, there was only one nomination and it was for cinematography. Yeah. Deacons, man. I was just going to say, but it lost to uh, gravity. Uh, Rightfully so. I, you know, I haven't seen gravity, but I've heard good things. Didn't, didn't gravity win best picture that year. I remember thinking that gravity did better than it deserved to do. Is that the Sandra Bullock one? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, I think that's one of those movies that um, made a big splash when it came out, but is huh. cu- culturally not relevant, important now. Yeah, um, it won cinematography, directing, film editing, original score, sound editing, sound mixing. Okay, uh, well, so fair effect, enough. I mean, it, but not it, best picture. Yeah, I, I mean, visually, it was a really cool movie. So mm-hmm. fair enough. And and from yeah, from their perspective, like it's technically a very impressive movie. They did so many things that they'd never done before yeah. for the cinematography that we're actually now using today. Um, so I yeah, I, I think it's appropriate that it won that. So the reason it didn't well, I mean, maybe it was so the the winner that year was Twelve Years a Slave. Right. Um, other nominations American Hustle, Captain Phillips. Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, and Wolf of Wall Street. Hmm. That was a pretty good year. Yeah. I mean, I think on the, um, I think it was the Blade Runner episode where I read through the list and I said, you know, Blade Runner was 2049 is, is pretty much better than anything that was even nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say Prisoners is definitely better than everything on this list, but it's better than at least half in my opinion. Yeah. I think I would say it got snubbed with just one with one nomination. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think, you know, you got Jackman and uh, Hall. both it, to me, it kind of in terms of in acting terms, it felt like a heavyweight fight where they're just like, they're both really going for it and uh, all both like putting it all out there. And then to see, I'm just a little surprised neither of them got that recognition, but uh, but maybe they sort of, sometimes what happens is you split the vote because it's like they're, they're both kind of leads. So maybe the people who do awards were like, well, we don't, which one is the lead, which one's supporting, you know, maybe that's what happened. What would you say? Which one is the lead and which one is supporting? Um, hmm, I think in, well, actually, I think that's kind of, that's one of the questions I have. I, uh, yeah, I don't that's have a good question, Casey. Yeah. Let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll all jump into that. Uh, we might as well jump into that right now. Um, hmm. I've watched this twice in the last week and I'm trying to think who, who just literally gets more screen time. It's, it's probably Hall's character detective Loki. I think he probably gets more screen time. Okay. But I don't, I, well, maybe it's a philosophical uh, disagreement, but I, I, I don't think that's how you define who the protagonist is. I think the protagonist is, is the person who's, who's, uh, dilemma and journey drives the plot, which, right. I think is, is pretty clearly Hugh. I mean, basically what, what Jake is, is he's a, he's a deuteragonist. He's, he's, 
kind of on the same rails. He's fighting some different demons, but like, um, the person, the person whose, whose art gets tied up like a bow at the end is, is Hugh. And like, Hmm. If, um, it, well, okay. Maybe it sounded not, like I, a loaded, huh? Yeah. Only, I, only no, and, I, and I hear what he's saying. I hear what he's saying. Tied up like a bow is too strong, but, um, but it's, it's his resolution. It's not like, that's fair. I mean, Jake, Jake only gets resolution in that Hugh and his family get resolution. Yeah. The, the screen time thing, I, I, uh, I brought that up because I'm thinking, because to me it's, there isn't an, there isn't a clear answer. And so I'm thinking like, I'd have to then resort to secondary measures, something like screen time or, you know, lines of dialogue, that sort of thing. You know, and this is why I'm so happy to, to be here with you guys, because you guys are, are all so intelligent. I especially love listening to Casey from, from a cinematic point of view, but <laughs> but my favorite course in college was taught by my English professor who taught just kind of a, a fun summer uh, course called How to Read a Film. And since I, I write and, and my favorite movie uh, is books and I always uh, read, I look at this from almost a literary point of view and I think how would the story look if it was told in a first person narrative from either one of those characters. And I think you have a better first person narrative uh, from Hugh Jackman's character from Dover. But, you know, I, I do see Loki as also being, um, you know, I, he's obviously a pivotal figure, but it's like, I guess, which would be a better story. And, and, you know, like Dr. B was saying, Dover's actions really define the story uh, because I think that's where a lot of the motion comes from. And, and uh, Lo- Detective Loki does a good job of plugging in his character's emotion. But the idea of a detective, I mean, the, he has other cases. He can do other things. He can get put onto a, another case. So I think that's where the emotion comes from is, is from the dad. And he's reactive to Hugh. It's, it's Hugh driving the action. And I think also uh, what you mentioned about perspective, like, you know, you can write a book from an omniscient or a, uh, I can't remember what the other one's called. Um, third perspective. Person. Well, yeah, you can do third person, but you can also do third person omniscient where, where the third person knows everything that's going on with everybody. And then you can kind of do a third person not omniscient where you're very limited, clearly, limited. Yeah, third limited. person limited where you're very clearly like looking at one character and you're like hearing their thoughts and nobody else's thoughts. Mm-hmm. And like in this, whose whose secret skulking around activities are we always seeing? Like we don't like Loki is, is there kind of when he needs to be. And I think Hugh is the one who is, I'm, I'm saying Loki and Hugh. Cause I don't remember the other guy's name. But um, Keller, Keller Dover. Yeah. Keller Dover. Okay. Um, you're way in his business. You're not as deep into Loki's business. I'm, I'm very comfortable with the idea of it being like Keller Dover's story and movie. And, and even saying that's the lead in terms of like actual, in terms of like the, uh, the business of movie making, I think there is no, there is no lead because they, 
you have to like kind of give someone top billing or whatever, or, or maybe, maybe one of them did get top billing or, or something, but I, they're both on the cover. Yeah. It's, you know, it's referred to as an ensemble cast because basically there's two guys who both of which feel they deserve to be considered the lead. So Hugh Jackman's name does come first in the credits. Yeah. And that is a, that's a, you know, that that's a thing that gets argued by agents. So for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that, that brings me to the next thing actually, which is, so these two guys, uh, along with some of the other members of the cast, uh, they initially did not want to do this movie. They had, I th- as I understand it, they had been approached, uh, by, by casting to, to do this movie, but they did, they weren't interested because of the directors that were attached at the time. Um, at one point, Brian Singer, who uh, has done some X-Men movies. Um, and, who, and who is a, a child rapist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was attached at one point. Um, and then Antoine Fuqua, who had done Training Day and Southpaw. I don't, uh, Southpaw, I think, came after this, but that was with that Jim came, Yeah, that came after that. That was like 2014 or 15. Oh, man, that would have been a much different movie, I think, if he had done it. I mean, Terrence, Terrence would not have been um, like hiding out and crying the whole movie. That's <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, so, uh, but I just, those two directors, I, I'm not, I, I'm not super familiar with their, their work or their style. Um, but what, what do you guys think about what kind of movies those might've been? Well, there were, would have certainly been a lot more, um, irony or things for us to unpack if singer had in fact directed this um and yeah and then i think i think and i think yeah um if i'm thinking of the right guy i'm gonna i'm gonna google it real quick but yeah i mean (laughs) um brian singer like like very obviously it makes my skin crawl to think of him directing this movie because mm-hmm. it's, it's so close to, uh, you know, the like at the, that... the end of the movie, the big reveal is that he was the bad guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's almost found this, the like, kids and they're in the director's trailer. <laughs> yeah. There's almost this like Kevin Spacey, like uh wink and wink and nudge confessional element to something like that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I think Fuqua just would have, um, would have given Terrence Howard way more to do and um, pr- probably, I don't know if, if, if they were still going to try to make the, the, the black family, like the moral center of the movie and like the, which I, you know, I guess we can debate on whether or not they were, were actually trying to do that or not, but um, that would have just been flavored dramatically differently. I think if it had mm-hmm. been Fuqua. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I say, I'm not super familiar with either of these guys, but um, but I'm not, I, but I'm never going to take any of them over uh, Villeneuve. So um, agreed. agreed. Yeah, one hundred percent. Which is funny because of I've only seen two of Villeneuve's films, this and Arrival, and I I like both. And I've seen way more of uh, both Singer's and and Fuqua's films, uh, but but I do like Villeneuve. Uh, from what I've seen of him. And I agree that his is, is definitely, I'm glad that he directed this, this film. Mm. So I, I'd already touched base with, um, with Bennett after he watched this and so I'll have him go first, but, um, uh, you know, 
you guys think this is this movie? I mean, I've already said I love it, so that's out, out there, and we know the audience and and critics liked it and everything. But uh, you know, is this? Do you guys think this movie is is good? So yes, enjoyed is is a weird word for this movie because it's so heavy, but mm. um, it's a good movie. It's a good movie, and it, it, it gives you things to think about. And um, maybe the reason you asked me to to go first is that I chewed on whether or not the moral dilemma at the center of the film was fair because, you know, um, a, a, a moral dilemma in a film can be really instructive and really interesting if it feels like a dilemma that could happen in your real life. And, you know, uh, uh, your kids being kidnapped is unlikely, but, but, uh, that's, that's a thing that could really happen. What I was struggling with is like your kids get kidnapped and then there's a guy who was driving the RV and then resisted arrest and wrecked his RV. And then like, um, you know, they found all this evidence and then he says that he saw or like he was with them like, but, but it just happens to be not that guy. And there's a whole nother weirdo who has the same like moon faced, crazy physiognomy. And <laughs> um, he's like got puzzles and snake guts and children's clothes, but he also hasn't heard any, but like, I don't know. It's just, um, it, it felt like uh, it's kind of stacking the deck in favor of, of, of Hugh Jackman having made a terrible mistake by beating the shit out of Paul Dano. Yeah, so I'm not um I'm not like a true crime uh like a big consumer of true crime. Um instinctively I want my my response to that I want to say yeah, this is a this is pretty is this is this borders on absurd like the the levels of um like coincidence or misdirection. But I, I want to say and I don't have a good example, maybe maybe someone else does. Uh but I want to say that stuff basically this crazy does happen. But maybe I'm wrong. You're 100 percent right, and and I I definitely want to hear what Casey thinks uh, of the film before I weigh in. But I I do have something to say to that. Okay. Well, all right. I I won't have any nearly as impressive words as Dr. Bennett. Um, but uh, I mean, to your original question, is this movie good? Uh, I think unequivocally, yes, it is good, and I think that it. Um, is also timeless in a sense that, you know, obviously uh, technology will change. That That's not a huge necessarily part of this movie, but um, I can imagine that some things will change in the future where some of the the problems that arise in this movie wouldn't make sense. But I think the, the themes are what stick with me. And um, I... You know, it might be unfair the way that they kind of stack the deck against Hugh or Keller um, in the movie to make it so that he is actually making, like, he's clearly making a wrong choice. Um, But really, that's not what sticks with me, though. Um, I think the fears that... I, I have this fear of kind of ineptitude. I don't know if that's universal or if it's a me thing. Um, that like as a father, it's universal. 
It's okay. universal. <laughs> um, but you know that as a father, I won't be able to protect my kids. Or um, as a father, I won't be able to to do the things that I need to do, right? Um, and that beyond my ineptitude, that there's the ineptitude of the system that I'm a part of or, mm-hmm. or that I belong to. Like the police, the ineptitude of the police department uh, in the case of this movie. Um, like obviously Loki is doing a, a very commendable job, but the rest of the police department um, have very questionable actions and lack of motivation, you know? And, and so that's, I think it's th- those parts of the movie um, that stick with me and, and help kind of elevate it by, you know, putting a story to, to things that I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So Brett, you're going to, you were going to touch on the, um, the kind of the true crime aspect, but before you do, I'll, I'll just jump in and say, um, yeah, if you, you separate the kind of like the film from the story, um, which you can't do completely, but, uh, I mean, I think the film is, um, you know, there's nothing it's quite, it's like, to me, it's pretty much perfect. Like, uh, I, I love the pace that it's kind of slow. It's, or you, you, I could say patient. It's a very patient movie. It gives you a lot of time to just sort of be in this, uh, uh, mood in this environment. Um, visually it's like, I just, I thought it was great. Um, I think the writing is great and the performances are great. So it's like the film to me is, is just very, very good. Uh, and then, and then, yeah. The, so then the, the kind of there from there, it just comes down to the story. Like, can we, can we get into the story? And uh, yeah, Brett, I wanted to hear what you had to, to say about the, um, the kind of a real life analog or something. Thanks man. Yeah. And, and first of all, I love this film. I I've seen it several times. I watched it when it came out. Uh, before I was married and, and had a daughter and, and I've seen it since uh, getting married and, and having a, ch- a child. I love this film. This, this stuff totally happens. I was very nearly kidnapped when, when I was a kid and this was uh, in, in the late nineties, you know, when things were in, in many ways uh, safer and it, it, it does happen. You know, I skipped my finals when I was going to Brigham Young University to join in a search for, for a missing girl. And, and fortunately, we found her. Um, but yeah, th- this stuff definitely happens. Uh, I, I do some volunteer work with Operation Underground Railroad, which uh, rescues people from human trafficking and... and it, which is bigger. Yeah. Sorry. I, I interrupted. Well, so, so, but to, to Bennett's point though, so we know that these crimes absolutely happen, but then do we get scenarios where, um, multiple people are, appear to be like, you know, the, the obviously guilty suspect, then they aren't, then they aren't gu- quite guilty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, like the, the case of the missing girl that I mentioned, you know, she, she had just run away, fortunately. But when uh, searchers, you know, we got together, first thing, you know, we had was a list of all the uh, sex offenders in, in the area, you know, and when, mm-hmm. when we were canvassing. Um, and I, I think that in film, you're, you are going to exaggerate things a, a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how many, you know, internet weirdos are there, you know, who, who look like the most likely suspects, but it's actually 
you know, someone who by, you know, all appearances is innocuous. I, it's funny because just a few days ago, I had a run in with an old lady who was doing something very threatening to my daughter. And I, and, you know, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal in, in this, uh, in, in that situation. Um, so yeah, I think these things do, do happen. And, and it's, it's kind of uh, trite and cliche and banal to say, but it is the person you, you least suspect, you know, by definition, usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's get in a little bit to, um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm with Bennett on the, on the kind of the mousetrap that they built for, for Keller Dover is, uh, it, it depends on the mood in which I'm watching, but it does, it does feel a little excessive or they go a little too hard at, at points. But, um, I mean, let's consider the, uh, the case against, uh, uh, Dano's character whose name is Alex Jones, which we can talk about his name being Alex Jones later. But, um, so like, I mean, I'm thinking I, I would probably have snapped in the same way that Keller does, because you look at, you look at Alex, he, uh, he flees from the cops when they find him. So he was at the scene. He flees from the cops when they find him. Uh, he's obviously like insane. Like he, he has that, he has a, a criminally insane vibe. Um, he tells that he tells Keller, they didn't cry until I left them. Um, and then, and then we see him intentionally hurting a dog, which is like film school 101 easiest, <laughs> easiest way to manipulate an audience is have them hurt a dog. Right. Uh, although Haas wouldn't care. He'd like that scene probably. Um, <laughs> and then I'm telling you, he's the Riddler. Well, okay. We're going to get into that. <laughs> we're going to get into that. Um, and then, uh, and then he, he does have actionable information that he does not share. And my issue with, with uh, Alex Jones in this movie is it's like, um, okay, he can drive. And I, I know I've known profoundly handicapped people who drive, so that I believe that part. But he can drive, uh, and he can also hatch that little plot where he gets the lady to untie his hands, and he goes immediately for the glass. And he tr- so he tries to fight. Like, that's a clever little plan he had. Um, and so it's like, I'm supposed to believe he can speak, he's verbal, but he also, but he won't tell anyone anything interesting or useful, but he does know use. He doesn't have information that would have helped. Right. Like it's, it's, it, and that's, I guess that's the core of my objection is like the, when, when there needs to be a plot beat for him to drop some exposition, he, he can say exactly the thing that he needs to say. And then he clams up in a way that doesn't, it, it's hard to explain internally unless you just explain all of his actions on the basis of he's a, he's a crazy person. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's not an internal logic to his behavior. Okay. Well, you know, and, and I totally agree with what you guys are saying. And I think that this speaks to, you know, kind of a, a, a bigger issue. And, and as a father, like I totally agree with, uh, with Keller Dover. Uh, but, if you know we see his reaction is to like attack him in the parking lot and then even when he's being questioned beforehand jake gyllenhaal you know kind of like slams up against the wall gets in his face and and they're treating him like you would you know another man and if they had and again not criticism but if they had maybe approached with a little bit more persuasion a little bit 
gentler, like, Oh, they didn't cry until you left them. Oh, what does that mean? Like, were you helping them? You know? And like done this, then he might not have clammed up. So So I I think that was the problem. He never got good, good cop treatment. He he only got bad cop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, uh, oh, by the way, you bring up the part where, um, where detective Loki, you know, puts him up in the corner and he's like, he's questioning him like an inch from his nose. Um, from, I was watching something uh, behind the scenes and I think, I think they said that was Hall's idea. like to film it that way. Uh, originally they were supposed to be just sitting at the table, but Hall like wanted to, to do it in that corner and awkwardly in the camera. They said they intentionally had it kind of off uh, in a weird way. And then I guess Gyllenhaal was like flicking Dano's ear just to annoy him, to get like a, a more annoying, get a more annoyed look uh, and more like agitated uh, vibe from him. Yeah, I mean, I, okay, so I'm going to say something that um, is going to sound like I'm like I'm dunking. I'm not dunking. Uh, this is a very Catholic movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess what I mean by that is they... Um, there is a much, I, I think, deeper. They they take they take some things maybe more uh, literally or more in extremis than we do with regard to um, with regard to like violence and um, guilt. And I think mm. I think it it's it's that like element of like yes what Hugh Jackman did was totally understandable given the circumstances and still wrong um and like there's sort of a there's sort of a human condition or like an unsquareable circle about it that that I think makes more sense from a catholic perspective mm-hmm. and um so i, I I think like, and it's, it's so like, I guess what I'm saying is I don't necessarily agree with that take, but I don't think it's stupid. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a different way of looking at it. Well, the guy who wrote it, if, I mean, if I look at his name, I'm just guessing, but it looks like a Polish surname. And then Villeneuve is like, what well, he's from Montreal, right? So conceivably and likely they are both Catholic or at least, you know, from a Catholic place. So, um, so yeah, I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that, that, some of that leaked through or, or even if they had no Catholic background, I can still see the, the Catholic angle. I, I think Denise certainly does have a Catholic background. Um, I doubt he would currently identify as Catholic, but um, I think his high school, he was at a Catholic high school at least. Let's talk about, let's talk about uh, religion and faith in the context of, of prisoners. Uh, Keller obviously is a, he's some sort of, He's Christian somehow. Um, I'll I'll just say what I what I noticed some of the some of the groundwork I'll lay, and then I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. Okay, so we uh, the the movie opens with a I think it's the Lord's Prayer, uh, and that's being read by um, by Jackman or, or Keller, um, and he listens to like a sermon on the radio, or his when he gets in his car, his his radio is set to like a Christian station, and it's reading a sermon. Um, he's, I think he's, maybe he wears a cross. I don't remember. Um, and then, uh, he's also, you know, when they, when he locks Dano or Alex in the shower and they have those conversations, it looks to me, I mean, I'm not Catholic. I've never gone to a confession booth, but it looks like those confession booth, the way that that those are shot in movies usually. Yeah. And then, 
And then we got, of course, the old lady who her whole thing is that she's unhappy with the hardship of something that happened in her life, her own child's uh, death, I think. So, and so she says she's waging a war with God and she's actively trying to turn people evil. She says, I think she says to uh, Keller, like um, she's waging a war with God. I'm trying to turn people like you into demons, which to me is like, was reminiscent of, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson stuff about why people do these evil things because they literally just hate God and hate humanity. Um, all right. With all, with all that, what do you, what do you guys see as the role of religion in the movie? That's a good question. That's a really good question. And I, I think that it, I mean, it's, you know, we get the motif and we get the view of the crucifix hanging from, you know, the, the car window. And, uh, you know, we, we see like the, the priest who, uh, took it upon himself to, uh, you know, tie up that guy and, and leave him to die for killing a sex offender priest. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is, I think is another piece of this is like the, the, the freaks and the criminals and the weirdos, um, all of the outward, all of the, all of the weirdos that they know about that they know to be freaks and weirdos and criminals are, in this case on the, like they're trying to be on the side of righteousness and they're all kind of screwing it up and they're like, they're, they're, it's, I don't know. It's interesting that, um, the fact that the fact that he's a, that he's a kid toucher, but he's also trying to, um, like take care of this other predator is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's un, un, unfortunately it's complicated. I don't think that it's it's uh, against religion. I think that it shows a, a misapplication, you know. It, and I mean, here we see Keller, who is a very you know faith, full of faith man, who is desperate and in despair, and 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 does things that. Uh, are are in fact wrong and then you have loki you know even his name and, and his tattoos and his ring you know are, are pagan uh but who's also trying to do the right thing it, it's interesting I, I i don't know if i have a good answer for religion's role i mean obviously we all know how important religion is um but we do see that the the real bad person is someone who ostensibly is trying to wage a war against God. So that puts God as the, the good guy, I think. Uh, Brad, I heard you mention the, the, you mentioned Loki's ring, right? Sorry, my, uh, I have some in the background, so I couldn't hear, but um, he's got, a, he's wearing a Masonic ring. What, what, uh, what did you guys make of that? And did, did were you guys able to, to decipher any of his tattoos? I don't know. I don't know what they were. I mean, there's there's zodiac symbols. Um, I I don't know exactly like if they were purposeful. Like I'm I'm sure they were purposeful. Um, they're purposeful filmmakers. Um, but I yeah I don't know exactly like what each zodiac symbol would mean about him as a character. Yeah. Was, um. Yeah. I, I never I never figured that out. I know that um it was uh it was Gyllenhaal's idea to do the the tats and the ring but I don't know what his idea was <laughs> in regarding to, in regarding that. Um, 
or if it was just part of a, a broader effort to, uh, and we'll, we'll get into more of this in a bit, but uh, Loki's kind of, he gives a little, he tells a little bit about his childhood, but he's kind of from nowhere. Um, we don't know really anything about him. And he does, he does have a cross on his thumb, right? So he's kind of got like pagan symbols and I guess a Christian symbol as well. Mm. I didn't notice a uh, coexist sticker on his cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, you know, even the name, you know, Loki is obviously uh, Norse, uh, you know, Norse, Norse mythology. Uh, but, but I think it, I think it's cool. I think it's, it, it is a, a good thing to, you know, I think it's significant that the kids are taken on Thanksgiving, mm. you know, that that's, yeah. uh, and, and one of the, you know, the other girl's name is joy and the joy is being taken, you know, so there, there are all these different uh, layers and not, not to overcomplicate it, but, but I do think that the, the fact that the bad guy is waging a war against God, then, then that makes God the good guy because the bad guy is trying to, to fight God on this. But the reasoning is, you know, Oh, they lost their own child. And so it's interesting to see that, you know, you know, sometimes when people lose a child or lose a loved one, uh, they turn to God, you know, uh, uh, in the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, we just had general conference this last week. And that, that was one of the things that you can either get angry at God or get close to God. And, the bad guy got angry at God. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the film is trying to say anything about uh, loss of faith? I mean, my, or, or, or you, so you look at Keller and he's, he's a man of faith, but he like, was his faith not deep enough? Was his faith, you know, should he have been like, uh, uh, like his neighbor, you know, his friends and neighbors, the, you know, Terrence Howard and Viola Davis, like trust the plan sort of people like, you know, just everything will work out. Uh, you don't have faith. Were they trying to say something about that? I mean, I think they absolutely were trying to say something about faith and about um, religion in general, you know, like um, maybe not overtly, although kind of maybe overtly, right? Cause um, so Keller's just like a couple other things about, about Keller's character. Like his wife's name is grace. Mm. His mother's name is Mary. He's a carpenter. Yeah. Um, like he's clearly um, like, he's clearly like the God side. Right. Um, and like Brett mentioned, um, the children are the joy and they're taking on Thanksgiving. Um, and obviously he is struggling uh, you know, at the end, um, I'm trying to remember. So he he prays at the beginning because I, I remember when I watched it, like it was very distinct the times that he prayed, um, and it was kind of certainly more like in a or a, a Catholic kind of prayer. Yeah, I think um, it's, it was the Lord's Prayer, I think. Right. So he says it at the beginning, um, uh, and then he says, I think after his kids are taken, he says another prayer at like dinner or something where he. Uh, the part where he's, you know, like, and forgive those who trespass against us, but like, he can't get that part out. Um, And then at the very end, he says another prayer when he's in the pit and he finds 
his daughter's whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so I think that's perhaps like the arc of his faith is, um, he kind of had a very complacent faith, which I find myself having a lot. Um, and then he's faced with this challenge and the things that his faith is asking him to do, he is having a hard time doing. Mm-hmm. And so he's coming up with his own ideas of what to do. And then finally, when he's like, he's at, I, I guess, literally rock bottom, he's in the pit, right? He suddenly, not suddenly, but he he comes to himself again and he says a much more earnest sounding prayer. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I would say that that faith is certainly an arc in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. You, know, you mentioned the, the whistle, like it's this rescue whistle and the girls get captured going to look for this thing, you know, but then that that is ultimately uh, the the means of rescue for Keller. So I, I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, if the girls hadn't gone looking for us, oh, they might not have been taken. And then, you know, we, we wouldn't have this this great story. Um, but yeah, I think that, and I think it's interesting that, you know, we get the the bad guy who's, you know, and she wants to cause people, like, people to lose faith in God. And I she obviously fails to uh, harm Joy and Anna, but she also fails to take away uh, at least Grace and, and, and Keller's faith, ultimately. And I think that that's good because i it is a very heavy movie um but but i think i mean ultimately it has a for lack of a better term a happy ending well but i kind of think she does beat defeat keller though like because he at least in the the, kind of the morality of the movie and and i'm i wouldn't be any better than him i don't think in the in a similar scenario but in the kind of morality of the movie he's he's doing the wrong thing right like it's uh like he should not have abducted Alex Jones and he should not have, you know, tortured him. So like, didn't, didn't that lady kind of, she want, said she wanted to make him into a demon and didn't, didn't she win? Short term. Sure. Yeah. That's what I would say. Not, not permanently. Yeah, I agree. You know, like, like uh, Casey pointed out we, when he does have that prayer, you know, I think she, she reduced him to a lot, but in so doing, she really, put him in a, a position where he needed to call upon God. So yeah, I think she definitely failed in, in her aim. You know, it, it's like you, you look at any story, uh, Satan, you know, trying to tempt Adam and Eve and it's a, it's a tactical win, but a strategic loss. Hmm. A couple, so a couple more things about Keller. Uh, you know, he was sober, or at least he said, claimed he was when he was, trying to do that misdirection with the liquor store. Um, yeah, he's a carpenter. Hey, actually he was, uh, he's kind of funny. He's, this, this takes place in Pennsylvania and he's sort of like that, uh, that, um, that he's really dialed in like a Trump voter sort of thing. Like he hunts, sure. he's uh, a carpenter, he has blue collar, owns his own business, um, is religious. He's a prepper, uh, which is a uh, kind of a big part of his thing. And, uh, yeah, so he's uh, he likes the Star Spangled Banner. He's patriotic. That's his favorite song. And then, um, uh, yeah, so he's uh, he's just kind of that interesting um, sort of 
Yeah, white working class we've heard so much about. Who's up against ultimate metaphysical evil in a way that he never expected to be and doesn't and his 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 moral system does not give him the obvious tools to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I think, I think that's, there's almost a political angle there because I feel like, I feel like the whole country, at least sort of our, our, you know, half or third of the country or whatever it is. Um, these, these, these revelations of, of abduction of children and, and um, human trafficking and, and il- among elites um, and then we sort of, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far afield, but like a big part of like the whole January 6th fiasco is they had this idea in their mind of like, we're going to storm the gates, but then they're like regular decent people who have never done any gate storming. And like, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he, he's an example of a guy who has never, had to ask himself that question and then he goes the other way and, you know, he, he goes guns blazing mm-hmm. um, rather than, but like, but like, it's not obvious to me which of those is right. Like, I don't, I don't think necessarily either of them is right. I think there needs to be some kind of an integrated um, response to that problem. That is, yeah. that is not like, I don't, I don't, I don't think um, Terrence Howard and Viola Davis were right. And I don't think they were supposed to be right. I think they were supposed to illustrate the inadequacy of of what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So this um, this leads to to something I was wondering about. Um, so, does Keller's actions do they ultimately help the investigation? Would they have ever found the daughter without him doing what he did? I think so. I, 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 when you first asked that, I wanted to say that no, you know, had he not done that, like, I, I think it, it ultimately was a distraction because Loki is, he's very curious. Uh, he's thorough. He's emotionally involved with this case. But this kind of divided his attention. And, you know, I, again, like has been said, I'd be no better than than Keller uh, in a similar situation. But I, I think it, it ultimately hurt the investigation. And obviously, you know, the, the film got that resolved. But a, I think a better approach, you know, in real life, uh, obviously the film did a good job. But what should have been done is if Keller had just, you know, followed Alex Jones the whole time or, or, you know, kept a a much closer eye, you know, he might've been able to suss out some, some more clues that way, instead of trying to brute force uh, Mm -hmm. someone who was incapable of articulating, uh, you know, what had happened to them. There's, I mean, obviously it's a, uh, it's fictional and there's too many counterfactuals to like consider, but part of me thinks that um, that he ultimately, despite all of everyone sort of begging him to like be less involved, uh, that he actually did help because the way the movie ends is with, so they find 
Loki uh, finds Alex Jones locked in the shower and his boss says, now you need to go tell his mother that he's been found. And Loki doesn't want to do it. He's like, uh, who cares? Like why, you know, that's not a priority right now. The boss insists that you go do that. It's then when he goes that he makes the connection with the, the necklace and the maze. And he's like, Oh, this lady, this is where the, the kids are. This is who took the kids. Great point. Yeah. No, that you, you changed my mind. Well done. I mean, I think, I think certainly in the context of this movie, right? Like everything that we have seen play out in this movie, absolutely. Um, Keller's actions end up leading to um, the discovery of the girls. Uh and we can really only surmise so much about the characters that are in it, like what they would have done if things were different. I, I, I mean, I don't think that Loki would have given up. Um, well, one girl got away, right? So right. presumably there was more, uh, she didn't seem to remember anything, but maybe she would have or something like that. Well, and if she did, it might not have been in time to save, um, uh, Keller's daughter, right? Yeah. Anna, yeah. And I mean, we keep going back and forth on this, um, or not, not even back and forth. We, we keep coming back to, I, you know, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I would have done it exactly the way he did it. And it's like, if, if going in to a situation like that, you know exactly what you're going to do and what you're going to do is what he did, then either you're admitting that what he did was right or you're admitting that like your ethical framework does not answer this question. Like your, your ethical framework, the, the demands that your conscience places upon you lead you to the wrong answer. You, you know, I actually don't know what I would do in this circumstance. I, I certainly identify with a lot of the fears and inadequacies of Keller. Um, you know, like it, it's a movie where I want to be a Loki, but I'm kind of a Keller and and Keller, sorry. And um, but at that, I don't even know if I could do what Keller did. Um, you know, I might want to, but I don't know if I could. Mm. I mean, they're also in really different situations. I mean, he's Loki is attached to this insofar as he wants to like win cases, and he's very like. He's got this. He's got this very much like dog chasing a stick interest in this case. Like at every step of of his interaction with the parents, his bedside manner is horrendous, and it it's it's because he like actually really doesn't care about them, and and I think he I think he I think he cares about the truth, and I think he cares about like getting his man. Um, I think he I, cares about the girls. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think the, the fact that he's single is important. The fact that he kind of lives alone, like, I think he cares about the girls in the abstract. Hmm. I don't think he's like really emotionally like until, until toward the end. I mean, I, I think, um, f- for him, it, it, at least in the beginning, he's more of like a single minded, like. I want to do my job really well type of Yeah. Person. Let's get into what we know about him. Um, I'll, I'll read uh, off some of my notes. And if, if you guys think I missed anything, point it out. Um, so his name is Loki, which is, uh, uh, as Brett pointed out, uh, a Norse god. It's kind of a weird name. Um, 
He's got these weird tattoos. He's got a Masonic ring. Presumably he's sober. Uh, his boss offers him some a drink, and I don't think we see him drinking at any point in the movie. He mentions to that priest that he grew up in like a boy's home or some. He's like an orphan or something like that. Right. He uh, he's alone on Thanksgiving. He's he's a flirty with the waitress, but other than that, we don't know if he you know likes women or has a girlfriend or anything like that. And then he's got his facial tics. He does he's you know blinks all the time. Um, the one most interesting thing maybe is I think it's, uh, Keller's wife. I think when he's getting like a, he's talking to her about the lie detector test and I think it's her. She says something like, do you have children? He doesn't answer. Um, so in real life, when someone doesn't answer that question, it kind of means they do and they're not no longer involved with them or something like that. But that was just something I picked up on. Nice job. Yeah. I, I, I think that you know, I, I agree with, with uh, Dr. Bennett that, you know, he's professionally concerned, but if they wanted to make him as a character you know, personally involved, I, I think they could have done so with having him married with children of his own. And, and so it's like that, that would have made him a different character, but, but I agree. And I think it's interesting because we, we see uh, that, I mean, you look at Bob Taylor and Alex Jones, they're both these single adult men and, and they're, you know, they're weirdos and Loki's not that different from them. He just, you know, veered right when, when they veered left maybe. So I, I think that's interesting. I mean, I think that's actually a really good point is that I, at least I got the impression based on, I mean, it was almost a throwaway line when when Loki has the um, the priest, right? Like looking for the or when he goes to the priest's house and he's talking to him and he, and he talks about that he grew up in a a boy's home. Um, I got the impression that we were supposed to assume then that he had also suffered some abuse and some trauma. Yeah, he says he's like something like it would give me great pleasure, you know, to to blow your head off or something like that. Something like yeah, that, right? He, he's real personal about. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah. Okay. I guess, I guess what I was saying about the emotional involvement is not so much that he was, didn't care. Cause like, there's clearly some like intensity to that and it's not just careerist. There's like, it's personal, but I guess what I'm saying is like, he's not, um, they, they put a lot of work in to make him distant from the parents. Mm-hmm. Like he, he cannot relate to them. He doesn't empathize with them. He, like he's, it's, it's, Every, every interaction between them and him is really strained. There's one, so it's, this is right after the, uh, the part I was talking about with the lie detector test, but, um, Keller, Keller then comes in the room and he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, full of rage and he's yelling and, uh, Loki, Loki gives this very like rehearsed cop line. He's like, sir, what I'm going to need from you right now is to calm down, which this was funny to me for a few reasons. One reason, just because of how like rehearsed it was and that that seemed intentional, the other one was that um, Keller does actually calm down. And I, I thought what was funny is that you couldn't write, he could not have said that. You can't say that to a woman and have them calm down, right? But he says it to Hugh Jackman and, and he does calm down. Oh, well, you need me to calm down. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Keller attributes it to like, you know, the obvious things like sleep or sleep deprivation and stress, uh, which I don't know about you guys, but man, sleep, sleep deprivation. Like I, I get a couple bad nights in a row and I'm, um, you know, I'm not the same person 
I'm much worse off. And uh, I can only imagine doing like multiple days in a row with that kind of stress level. At that point, I mean, I don't know. I would be doing probably some some criminal things. They said, uh, this isn't my joke, but but somebody said uh, he did all that blinking in this one so that he could get it out of the system before he did Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah, for yeah anyone, I, I haven't seen yeah. that yet either. I need to watch well, it. for anyone who hasn't seen it, his his character in Nightcrawler is like, yeah, his, his eyes are always like comically wide open, looking around and staring at everyone. Which is another good one, which which is on the list, right? Uh, I think so. You, you know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. It's it's interesting. I mentioned Operation Underground Railroad earlier, uh, and the founder of that, you know, he became involved when he he met this father in Haiti whose son had been kidnapped and you know the the father and this was years ago and, and they still haven't found uh this boy Gardy that they're still looking for but you know he was talking to uh Tim Ballard the founder and and he said like that he he can't sleep you know he just he can't get a good night's rest knowing that in, or not knowing where where his son is, and and I think that that I appreciated what they did with the character of Grace. You know that she is just completely distraught, and I think that's realistic. I mean, yeah, it, I, it, I just read a short story about a child that was missing, and it had like the dad like was going to the gym and working out. You know, and it's just like that. That wouldn't happen. I, I, I mean, I don't think I could do anything routine in a similar situation. Um, yeah. So I think that this is definitely, I mean, I think we all need to be preparing. It's, this is a good movie. This is another good, uh, good plug for exit. All the movies we talked about, I think have something involved with exit. I mean, we need to be training, not necessarily if our kids are kidnapped and God forbid, but you know, what do we do in these kinds of situations uh, that, that you really can't plan yeah. for? You need, you need to be prepping. You need to be, you need uh, to be getting bigger. You need to be preparing to fight off four or five <laughs> uh, child abductors at once. <laughs> well, that actually, you know, th- that's something that I've been wondering though, is like, what is the actual prepping that we should be doing for this? Because I think the the movie is um, maybe even a little cutting about his prepper nature. Right? So I have, right. I have a, I have a very specific answer for this, something I took from the movie for this, Okay, which was, so he's a prepper, right? He's got these very nice shelves and his, I'm very envious of those shelves that he made. Um, and he's got everything in like neat, tidy order. And that's all very cool and good. Keller was prepared in like kind of every way except psychologically, which I, you know, I don't know. You can't, I don't think you can't, you know, you can't psychologically prepare for something like this, but you can, you can psychologically get tougher or something. And, and uh, that's just an, an area where he obviously wasn't, he wasn't strong enough, which is not saying anyone would be or what you'd have to do to get strong enough, but that's an area where he, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't there. Well, this is a, this is a minor obsession of mine, which is basically how do we, we've, we've grown up with this, um, with this vision of, of what Christianity is that, that was really, really only ossified in like the 1960s, 1970s. Um, you know, every, uh, every European, um, warlord and dictator 
and soldier and pirate. I mean, they, they were, <laughs> they grew up in a Christian context. They, they were, uh, you know, maybe not great Christians, but are we great Christians? And like, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I think that this is a case study in like your, your sort of, uh, fundamentalist pacifism is, is kind of a luxury. And, um, when you, when you abandon that, you, you can, you can become unhinged and really go off the rails but what if there were a way to um, actually integrate your, actually integrate violence into your ethics? Actually integrate um, the need to stop bad people from doing things instead of just, you know, we we outsource that to to police and soldiers, and then we complain about what the police and the soldiers do. And maybe the police and the soldiers are doing something wrong, but like, you know, you can't you can't escape the accountability for the outcomes that you were trying to achieve using those instruments of the state. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few instances that are force is required somewhat often. And uh, yeah, if you, if you're only letting the the police, if only the police are doing it, then um, yeah. How do we, how do we criticize them? Yeah, Um, that's a really good point. And, yeah, th- this isn't the place to talk about, but uh, I'll have to tell you guys offline sometime about my run-in with with that old lady. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that it's he's it's just so dying much- to tell us about how he tuned <laughs> up this old lady. <laughs> um, you know, and I think about you know uh, Dover's actions, and I think, uh, and this seems way worse, but Holly would have been probably more responsive to his treatment, you know, of Alex, had he done it to her, you know, instead. Um, and certainly she's much more deserving of that treatment. Uh, but, but that doesn't jive with this, you know, that it doesn't seem right. And, and, you know, obviously what Dover did is, yeah, wrong. You shouldn't capture and torture people, even if you're trying to find your kid, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is like, he was doing something and, joy's parents didn't do anything you know they're they're you know horrified you know terrence is horrified at this but meanwhile he's not doing anything uh to to find joy um i i do like the name that they used holly because it's kind of like holy but not quite you know so there you get a little bit of opposite and and holly is a parasitic plant um it's often confused with mistletoe, and that's what Loki used to kill Baldi. Or so you know, you get a lot of Norse stuff in there. So I think the names. There's so many layers with the names too that that are just kind of regular. I was trying to find a connection with Holly and Hollywood, because <laughs> um, I thought it would it would have been really funny to be able to say, <laughs> look, this this is an allegory for Hollywood, how it steals children, how it steals people, and ruins them and kills. I mean, them. But, we can make that uh, connection. I, I yeah, I yeah, mean, you just did done. You don't need well, <laughs> wordplay. Well, I even so her last name was Jones, and I even looked. I'm like, okay, well, what does Jones mean? And and you know, it. it I was thinking maybe Jones would have some reference to wood or something like that, but it, it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, but we can we can still go there. We can still say that she's a stand-in for Hollywood. I mean, everybody everybody there knows what's going on there. 
And so you really can't have a movie about the the abduction of children without that kind of flavoring it. Even in 2013, I mean, people knew what was going on. Well, you got to see um, Under the Silver Lake. Yes, that is high on my list. That's like a, it's a, a kind of an open critique of Hollywood. And then some have alleged there was retribution as a response to making it. But we'll, we'll do that episode later. So something um, that Brett touched on that um, I kind of want to get your guys' opinions on, and maybe what you've said is already evidence of enough of what your your answer will be. But um, so with um, uh, Terrence Howard's character, like he and his wife, eventually they do nothing, right? Like he's kind of in on it for a little bit, but then he chooses to sit back and do nothing. So is the movie making a statement about whether it's better to do nothing or the wrong thing? Well, there's, there's gradations to it, right? Because um, Terrence Howard's character does participate and he hides it for a while. Then his wife gets it out of him. But then the wife, she show, she goes there, I think, with the intention of shutting it down. But then she's like, no, I get this. Uh, and kind of gives Keller her blessing. Well, she tried. And, then, and here's the thing is, like, if, if the moral of the story was, what if we just talked sweet to him? She tries to talk sweet to him and then he tries to murder her with a shard of glass. So Good point. Yeah. So I guess, that yeah, we did get the good cop uh, at least briefly and he, he, he didn't take to the good cop. Well, and I mean, you know, uh, f- fair to say that deep into this process might, might have been too... Well, per- permanently. You could, you could say, yeah. yeah, you could say maybe he's permanently shut down or it's already too late, but like this guy has been through 30 years of like catastrophic abuse from this horrible monster woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we're thinking that like, you know, another another week of of bad or or maybe a, another week of good is like i don't know the the, the idea that that's going to make the difference um or that it's or that it's beyond the pale i don't know that's a yeah. hard one this this actually brings me to a question i wanted to ask which is uh is keller good at torture i don't think punching and hot water and cold water is like i don't know yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know a ton about torturing. You're saying he didn't, he, he, uh, are, do they teach his methods at Langley? That's what I'm wondering. Probably not. No. Um, I can neither I, confirm nor deny that. That's <laughs> <what he's doing. laughs> well, I think that the thing is, um, you know, and that's a good point, you know, that, that, you know, he was, he grabbed the glass and, and tried to fight and, and maybe she reminded him of Holly, you know, so it like torture, I, I, I think is, obviously used to be a much bigger hot button issue uh, you know back in like 2008 and and stuff but he's not i mean i wouldn't like to get scalded with hot water personally i don't mind being punched in the face or whatever but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the fact is i mean you have to think outside of the box uh, literally and figuratively, because he's been through so much already that, I mean, yeah, it was painful and he d- didn't like it, but it's, I mean, he had already been tortured so much psychologically that physically it's, it's, it really didn't do anything. And so I mean, the argument why. that you, the argument that you can make for his silence is that he's still so terrified of Holly 
And that's why he won't talk. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, mm-hmm. how many kids, when, if you ask them like, Hey, did something, you know, did this happen? Kids, kids just, they don't know how to express or they, they won't express it if they've been harmed, um, you know, for, uh, you know, a multitude of reasons. But yeah. then you look at like the character of Bob Taylor and he's like doing all these things, like drawing the, the mazes and he's, you know, all the kids clothes all these things that he's trying to come to terms with it. So instead of torture, I mean, you really have to, if you want to get something out of somebody, you have to give them the right tools and you have to give them the right space. And you're right. Like sweet talking didn't do anything, but maybe, you know, okay. Like, okay. Show us, you know, where, where this is or, or doing weeks of intense therapy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where were the social workers? in this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do think actually that, that, uh, it's a solid case for manipulation of procedural outcomes. Um, police, police know how to hold on to a guy if they need to hold on to a guy. And um, the, the argument of like, oh, you know, he, you know, we can't charge him with anything, so we got to let him go. It's like, I don't know. I bet you could find something if you look real hard. You know what I mean? Like, Yo, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they clearly like uh, plant drugs on people and, 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 you know, bend the rules that way. And so if it's like, you know, we gotta, we gotta find a reason to keep this guy around so we can keep him talking or even if it's like a tree, that's environmental terrorism. (laughs) I mean, well, for, for one thing, like, uh, resisting arrest or, or, um, even if it's like a protective custody thing, like that, well, I mean, that, that's, that's the obvious one is like, Oh, the, the guy, uh, who's running around in the street yeah, wants to hurt him frantic, wants to hurt him. And we're going to just send this guy home. Who's got like the IQ of a 10 year old or whatever. Like, no, he probably needs to be in protective custody. And then you're having conversations with him and that like, that's, I, I think to the extent that, um, it sort of strains credibility. Like that's where it is. It's like, they just, they just sort of let, they let Dover kind of uh, do what he wanted there. And I, and I, I, there's two ways you could run that, right? Which one of them is like, oh, we, we deliberately let him do his thing because, you know, our hands are tied or whatever procedurally. Mm-hmm. But what they, but what they basically say is like, oh no, we really don't want Dover doing X, Y, Z. And then they make just no effort to stop him, and they set up the the pins like exactly so that that's it. That's what he's gonna do. Yeah. Um, we're gonna go a little a little rapid fire here, um, but uh, a lot of people uh, uh, a typical response to this movie is that it's a hard movie to watch. Uh, what what did you guys think was kind of like some of the harder parts to watch? I mean, I. Uh, you know, in a lot of movies, when you watch someone having like body mutilation uh, occur, that's like a difficult thing to watch. Um, but for me, like that was all secondary to just the situation that these characters found themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like the entirety of the story is what made it difficult for for me to watch. Um, and like it's it's a movie that I I recommend uh a lot to people and then I, I like immediately tell them, but I'm probably never going to watch it again. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's my answer. Yeah. The uh, Orson, Orson Scott card uh, in, in one of his books, he wrote an anthology of horror stories or no, it's so explicitly not horror stories because he goes into the intro 
And he says, these are not horror stories. These are tales of dread. And then he talks about the difference between terror and horror and dread. And um, terror is the, the, you are, the monster is like pouncing on you. Your immediate physical terror. Horror is you see a disemboweled corpse or, um, you know, uh, uh, something hideous and disgusting and, and frightening in that sense. Um, and then dread is anticipatory and it's this low grade. It's, it's, you know, the wife's not called and she's been out for a lot longer than you thought. And, or you, you go upstairs and there's a window open, like that's dread. And so this to me is a movie about dread mm. more than, more than terror or horror. And, um, uh, probably the hardest is from that perspective is the, um, when they're IDing the clothes, mm-hmm. the pictures of the clothes or, um, or when he's first thrown down into that pit and there's all these trappings of all the little kids and you just sort of have to piece together in your mind like what happened down in that pit for how long Mm -hmm. you know that's that's probably the the most intense yeah uh, for me probably one that one that has that i've that is always i found really sad to watch is when um he visits the old woman who watches the tape every day of her missing child and uh, just that it's a very quiet scene and you know, it's just like that. And she says, you know, no one, no one took them, nothing happened. They're just gone. Um, cause that's like what it's really like, you know, for people who, who lose kids and it's never solved. Uh, that scene I think is, was the hardest, I think for me. Obviously the, the whole situation is, is dreadful. You know, that, I like that distinction you made Dr. Bennett, but for me, like what was just when both Loki and Dover come face to face with Holly, that was the most frustrating because I'm like, just flip the table, throw the, you know, the two liter bottle at her, you know, like do something. Yeah. Like, I, I was, I shoot her. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of, that, that was kind of a, the, the way those are choreographed was a little weird to me because, um, because yeah, he, we know he's on edge. We know he's pretty much, you know, he's crazy at this point. Uh, like he's really just going to politely follow this lady's orders. Like, I, yeah, I think he would have, he would have charged or ran or something. I mean, theoretically, I guess he, he's, he's still, he still has hope. I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what prevents him from doing that. Right. Is he's thinking, you know, as long as I'm alive, then I can keep her alive. And, um, and so I, yeah, that's, that's a tough one though. But, but like also, I mean, when she gets the drop on him, like he turns his back completely to her and like, I don't know, he's the fact that he's like suspicious of her already. And then she pulls a gun on him. Like, I don't know. He, he, they gave that to her a little bit too easily. Yeah. But you know, remember he hasn't been sleeping. Um, and yeah. I yeah. make terrible choices when I haven't been sleeping. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> there's so many characters in this movie who are unhinged and, um, or, or like, you know, retarded and, and crazy. And so like, you know, trying to search 
for like causality and exactly why they do the things they do is, is a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey, I wanted to uh, get your take on the, uh, the cinematography um, real quick. I, I just uh, personally, I liked, I like how dark yet crisp it is like it's dark, but light. And then um, I thought the the candlelight vigil scene just looked really beautiful. Uh, the race to the ER in the rain when he finally got the girl yeah. and was racing there. I just thought the the light was incredible on that one. Um, but but yeah, I'd love to hear your take just generally on the on the cinematography. Oh sure, I mean uh, Roger Deakins is certainly considered probably the premier DP of our time. Um, he's certainly probably won the most awards. I know he didn't win it for this one, and I don't think he should have won it for this one. Um, he he often makes very technically perfect images, you know, like there's nothing that you could really pick apart about them to say that there's something wrong with it. Um, and I would say that that holds true for prisoners. I wouldn't say that nece- it necessarily like stands out. Maybe like, um, you know, we talked about the Batman um, the other week, uh, or I, I guess he lost out to, um, I forget uh, the DP's name, but who shot, um, uh, oh, the Sandra Bullock movie. What was the name of it? Uh, Gravity. Gravity, right. Where they had done something very technically impressive and that hadn't been done before. Um, but yeah, this movie's it's it's beautiful. It's it's understated. It, I don't think the, the cinematography draws attention to itself, which I think is appropriate, right? Um, I don't think we should be sitting there thinking necessarily like, ah, this is a beautiful shot because it's, it's a horrible thing that's happening to these people. Um and so I, in, in that case, I think that Deacon certainly did a service to this film by making it a, a, like a, a technically perfect visual movie um, that doesn't distract from uh, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, want to uh, touch on uh, music in the movie. Uh, my, my take was that the score is like competent, but I didn't really, it didn't really stand out to me. Um, I even have gone and listened to it on its own. It's, uh, it's not a, it's not to me, it's not like a, not a noteworthy score necessarily. Uh, and then the only like non-score music, the only soundtrack music that they have, uh, is like the last scene with the, uh, the Radiohead song. And I, I thought that was pretty funny that, um, you know, the CSI team that looks for dead dead children in the middle of the night would be listening to Radiohead. Um, <laughs> uh, any, any other thoughts on the, on the sound design or, or music? I, I actually enjoyed the score. Um, it's uh, yeah, maybe not like the best one that I've heard before, but um, uh, I think the guy's name is Johan Johansson. Yeah. Which is just very interesting to me um, as just as a name, but um I don't, the theme of it isn't memorable, but it is haunting. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was like, um, that's why I say competent. I thought it was, it would fit right, nicely and it, it worked and it helped the movie. Um, and I think um, Villeneuve said something about, I was watching an interview with him. I think he said something like, it's such a dark movie that he wanted the, this, the score to like be like reminding people of humanity, sort of something like something like, you know, a little bit cheesy, but something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think the, uh, 
if you're going to play a Radiohead song while you're digging through frozen ground in the middle of the night looking for dead kids, um, it's a, it's a it's at least a it's like a soothing, gentle. I don't know. Like yeah. it's not it's not it's as a, dark as they could have gone. It's a beautiful song. It's a Codex yeah. from uh, King of Limbs. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful song. Okay, so that that kind of is the the basis of the main movie stuff I want to talk about, but then I'll, I'm going to get into uh, uh, other people who were potentially cast for this movie. Um, I guess at one point, and you, I, I never know, you never know how, how serious this is when you read these, these articles, but uh, apparently uh, Christian Bale and DiCaprio were at one time, you know, the, uh, the candidates for this movie. I assume Bale would have been in the um, uh, Keller role. Cause he seems a little more fatherly. Uh, and then DiCaprio as the, as Loki, I, I assume that's what they, they had set up. I don't know how far that ever got though. Uh, do you, what do you guys think about that though? Is that an, is that a, as good, worse or better movie? It's worse. interesting. Yeah. I think worse. I think, I think definitely worse, but, but interesting, at, at least the Christian Bale, but I, I couldn't see DiCaprio in the in the Loki role. It, it, it is interesting, though. Were there any others that were um, shortlisted? Uh, allegedly, and I, he wasn't as big of a, a guy yet, but allegedly Gosling auditioned for a role, which I assumed was the Loki role. Because okay. he, he'd be too young to play a, a dad, I think. But um, he, he, well, had, he was doing, he was, wasn't that like when he was doing Lars and the Real Girl and uh, the Lovely Bones? It's probably about that time period, yeah. So he wasn't uh, as Gyllenhaal was bigger than him at that point in time. Well, I think. What, what I'm saying is, he was in this like I want to play weirdos mode. So maybe he was trying out for one of the weirdo parts. Yeah, maybe he was up for the Alex Jones or Bob Taylor role. <laughs> I mean, this was they would have been filming this just after Drive, right? Oh, really? Um, in in theory, so I think Ryan Gosling would have had some cachet as. Um, well, Drive was a big hit for guys like us, but. Nor I don't do normal did normal people see drive? Um, I'm not sure, but I think I think my point more so though is like his character in drive, I think would have positioned him to play like a low. Oh key. yeah, yeah. I I, I think I think he would have been I think he would have been interesting in that role. I actually of all the three I've mentioned, I think I actually think they all could work, mm-hmm. and, and those are all movies I want to see. And I'm I'm like that. I would watch the same movie over and over with just different people. Oh, 100. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the great thing about theater. I mean, you could run the same play you know, every other night with a new cast, but yeah. know, films it it's uh, like 10 years before you can you know start up a new franchise with new actors, and it's still not the same. Yeah. Line, so. Oh, and then I, I left one out. Mark Wahlberg was attached at one point too. He is a um, producer on the on the movie. Yeah, he was he was a big part of getting it made, from what I understand. Yep. Yeah, he was originally going to be one of the roles. I don't know which one. But... I assume the dad. He would not have been as good as Hugh Jackman. Yeah. No, I, I um, agree. Yeah, but then he but he liked it. He, he he opted out, but he liked it so much. He he was a big yeah, big reason it got made. Good for him. You know, I I was actually going to say he would have. I would have liked to see him play Loki and Christian Bale play Keller Dover because they, they play really well together. I don't know if you guys have seen the fighter with Mark. Yeah. And Christian yeah I've Bale. Seen Great pair up. Um, and then Timothy Chalamet, I guess auditioned for the only role. It, it said he auditioned and didn't get the role. Uh, I assume it was the son who, you know, he's only yeah. on the screen for like 10 minutes anyway, but um 
I don't think, I mean, Timothy is so obviously like lab grown theater kid (laughs) (laughs) that like, I don't know if I buy him as like the, the working class son of a, of a Trump guy. Yeah. I I think the same is true actually of Christian Bale. Like, I don't think Christian Bale could have sold, I mean, you know, Hugh Jackman's an Aussie, Christian Bale's Welsh, but, um, I don't know. I, I think, I think, uh, uh, watch, watch, uh, out of the furnace, out he, of the furnace. Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah. he plays yeah. a rust belt, a rust belt, uh, like Iraq war veteran or something like that. Um, I think he could do it. I, I mean, I think they nailed it. I think they, the, they, the guys they had were, were perfect for the roles, but, um, but I, but I, I do think Bale and DiCaprio could have been good too. Ryan Gosling, I think would have been good for a deadpan Loki. Like, um, yeah, he, he he would have been much more, I think, understated than what Jake Gyllenhaal did. Yeah, um, w- it would have been interesting to see. I yeah. agree. And, and, and out of the furnace is good. Yeah, that's with uh, Harrelson, right? Woody Harrelson's yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and in regards to uh, oh no problem. In regards to uh, Chalamet, um, I guess Villeneuve later when he was doing Dune forgot ever meeting Chalamet, but he did meet him, I guess, in a, <laughs> but he said he didn't remember meeting him. David, uh, Desmalchian, the guy that plays the Bob Taylor character. Yeah. I, I feel bad for him. Cause he like plays this role and then he's in the dark Knight. Uh, he's got a small role in there. He's yeah. one of the guys. Yeah. He's, um, he's got God, a role. God gave him the face to play that guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's, like, in, I, he's in uh, Ant Man. He's in the Ant Man movie. Yeah, he gets a comic relief role in Ant Man. Yeah. He's so. also um, oh, in the the new Suicide Squad, right? He's the the dot guy. Sounds right. I, I haven't seen it, but he's fantastic. So the funny thing is, he is such a spook. He's a spooky looking guy, and he's got that like spooky presence. But then I, I googled him, and he's got like the, the cutest little family and stuff. So good for him. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Here's one. Does uh does the new Batman movie take place in the Prisoner Cinematic Universe, aka the PCU? <laughs> Con- consider the evidence. They uh they yeah, lay out the evidence for us. <laughs> Alex Jones sings the Batman Smells song. Uh, both movies have Paul Dano, and at one point Keller through the like the, through the shower confessional thing says no more riddles. <laughs> oh, that's right. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no more riddles. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Um, that's hilarious. And then, uh, and did anyone else like the police chief as much as I did? Uh, I don't, he, I mean, I didn't feel much about him. No, he, he I, I did. He, he sucks in a really fun way. Oh yeah. I thought he was so funny. You know, like when when uh, Loki refuses a drink, the guy's like, "Oh, whatever," and drinks both. Yeah, yeah. Um, he to me, he I thought he he was just funny, like, he, and he's like, "Well, you know, you can go tell the parents you effed up." Uh, and uh, what the other thing he did? Um, well, to me, he just seemed like a guy who signed up to be a cop back when like corruption was more like, mainstream, mm-hmm. and then he got stuck just being a police chief. You know, when <laughs> you couldn't do corruption as easily. I liked him. I thought he was good. I for like that role. thesis. No, that thesis makes him a much better character uh, in my in my memory of the movie. Yeah. Oh, you know what I didn't? I just remembered Melissa Leo, who played Holly, uh, was in uh, the Fighter. 
So that, that's funny we mentioned that. Uh, little bit oh, no, of no. Holly, Holly's the old lady, right? Yes. Oh, wait, wait that, that old lady is in the, in the fighter? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yep. Wait, what was her name? The actress? Yeah. And Melissa Leo. Oh, okay. She's their mom in the fighter, I guess. Yeah. Um, here's a question. Does, uh, does Loki find Keller af- at the, after the credits? Affirmative. Absolutely. Totally. Why wouldn't he? Well, it- I mean, uh, they, they did leave it ambiguous. Villeneuve wanted it ambiguous, but he has pretty much said that he does find him. They even I- filmed, they filmed a version with him finding him. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't see the way they ended it as being actually ambiguous. Um, everything we know about Loki's character, the fact that he distinctly hears the whistle by the end of the movie three times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't find that to be ambiguous at all. I just find it to be a right. almost yeah. cheap cinematic trick. Well, I, I, I look at it as it's sort of respecting your intelligence. Like, well, and, and that's the trick. And maybe letting you, um, letting you build that that beautiful moment in your own mind, rather than trying to show it to you. Well, and and so I think that's why it's a trick, is because on the surface, I, I would agree with you, and and certainly it, Denis has said that um, it's better to suggest and not show, right? Which is follows that, but um, I think it's so clear that he does find him that it just it. Um, it's almost like a clickbait where it just <laughs> makes you, it forces you to think about it after the movie is over, um, which is a, a good cinematic trick to get people to think about your movie after it's over. So I'll say it's a trick, but that tricks are good. Uh, I, yeah. Maybe I'm being too derogatory towards it. No more riddles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, so they, they did film a version that shows them finding it. They, they did that in case the studio wanted a more uh, solid ending, but the studio didn't say anything about it. So, you know, side note here, David uh, Desmalchian should definitely play Edgar Allan Poe in like, uh, Oh yeah, I can see that. Sure. Oh yeah, totally. Um, okay, at this point, I'm just reading through that. That was every, all my main stuff. I'm just reading through my notes, and if I have anything like funny or interesting, I'll I'll drop it. And likewise, you guys can just go for it. Sure. I I only have three things on my notes that we didn't touch on. Um, one was that this movie makes me really want to watch Enemy. Um, I've never seen it, but it's Denis and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie. Yeah. Did it come out right before, or right after this one? It came out after, but it was filmed before. Okay. Um, so I do want to watch that now. Um. I was interested to find out that the writer of this movie also writes the show Raised by Wolves, which I don't know if any of you are familiar with. I know what it is, but I haven't I haven't watched it. Um, I'm not all the way through it. I'm I'm like a couple episodes in, but it's um, I find it to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last note was that I saw an interview where it Jake Gyllenhaal says that um, Loki's character didn't have a name in the script, so that he and Denis came up with one. And he says that the name they came up with is probably the only name in the entire movie that doesn't have like a connection, like a, a meaning behind it. But the name they came up with is David. And I don't know how that doesn't have any meaning behind it. Hmm. Uh, so, the, okay. That's actually brings me to something I wanted to, to talk about, which if all the names had a meaning, it's really funny to me that they use the name Alex Jones. And I even 
ask some people who are like longtime Jones fans, like what was the state, what was the status of Alex Jones in like 2012 when they made this movie? And they're like, yeah, he was pretty, pretty famous. Like he wasn't like a, he wasn't like he is now where everyone knows who he is, but, um, he had his, like his website by then or something. Yeah. He, I mean, the, you know, he was involved in the whole Sandy hook thing and that was, that was 2012. So like, I mean, Infowars has been going on for since Iraq, since the Iraq war started. Yeah. So I'm, I'm funny that they, it's funny to me that they, if that, if they needed that name for some reason, I'm curious as to why and why they would use a name of such a, uh, it's got to be a coincidence because it's such a generic sounding name. Yeah. Well, and that's like, he's talking about all these names being significant and there's, I'm looking at the cast right now, Keller Dover, Nancy Birch, Grace Dover, Franklin Birch, Holly Jones, Ralph Dover, Eliza Birch, Richard O'Malley, Patrick Dunn, Bob Taylor. Like the, I don't know. O'Malley's the police chief, right? Yeah. That's such a police name. Right. <laughs> Officer so, O'Malley. Apparently trees are like big symbolism in this movie. So I'm assuming that's where like uh, Birch comes from. Dover has a meaning in German, I think. Hmm. Yeah, there are a couple different meanings. So like there's, it, it has a lot of meanings in terms of like a gorge or you know a gap or where water goes. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure if it's German or a, a different. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe Swedish. it's something different. Yeah, but it means to like hit something. I think in Swedish or something. That's uh, interesting at- about the tree thing because there's a scene. I think it's like during the Thanksgiving scene before anything bad has happened, mm-hmm. where the camera zooms in on a tree for uh, an oddly long yeah, period of time. It just waits there. So Dover is from. Uh, the Latin dubris from Proto-Celtic dubros meaning water, which is from Proto-Indo-European dubros meaning dark or deep. All right. So dark, deep water, which that fits. Um, uh, I'm just going to say one of my <laughs> favorite parts of the movie is when he confronts Bob Taylor about shopping at the, the value mart. And, he, and Bob Taylor says, is it a crime to shop there? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, Loki says, you bought children's clothes. <laughs> and, and then Bob says, uh, I think he says I was in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So yeah, we, we didn't really talk about old Bob very much. No, I feel we like. didn't. Um, What's the deal with mazes? What was the deal with that guy's necklace? Well, Holly gives the kids a book of mazes when she kidnaps them mm-hmm. and says they have to work on them. I, but I don't, I don't get, I mean, she just, she's just trying to drive them insane or something. I don't know. Someone told, um, they didn't tell me. I watched a thing um, where the, the maze is like just them trapping the children um, to lure in the parents. So like the parents, it's essentially just the journey that the parents are going on is, is a maze um, lured in by their children. And uh, you know, in classic um, like Greek and I think actually in most mythology, uh, a maze or a labyrinth is often like there's a monster in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what I assumed is that, uh, you know, that Holly and her husband were kind of the monsters Um you know, luring the parents kind of into their, into their, into the maze to, um, 
kind of turn them into devils, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I just looked it up. Yeah. Uh, in Turkey, Dover uh, means to hit or, or uh, strike a person. So that, that huh. also ties mm-hmm. in. But yeah, obviously, I think that the, the deeper meaning is the, the deep and dark uh, water. I I did want to also point out, you know, talking about the character of Bob Taylor, it's interesting that, you know, when Alex Jones has, gets his hands free for a second and he gets the shard of glass and uses it to lash out and Bob Taylor, he gets a second and and gets a hold of a firearm and lashes in, you know, and, and, and takes his own life. So I think that those are two different, you know, reactions to those characters having gone through just tremendous trauma as children. Mm-hmm. But that too, it's like, I guess he's, I guess he's just ashamed of being a weirdo. He hasn't actually hurt anybody. He just wants to die. Cause he's a weirdo. Taylor, that character. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think he sees himself as a weirdo or is he just a, an emotionally and an intelligently, intelligently you know stunted person that is you know kind of well just i'm looking for to... i'm looking for an explanation for the suicide besides the plot needed him to kill himself the mm. i i did have in my notes that the suicide the suicide was one moment where i felt like hmm they i don't i don't know that they needed to go there uh i mean i guess the one the like an expert if i was going if i was trying to explain things for for the for Villeneuve or whatever, I, I would just say, well, he's, you know, he's crazy and he feels cornered and he's just gonna, he's tormented anyway. And this is his time to go. And yeah, that makes sense. And as a plot device, I mean, he, he was probably better adjusted to where he could have articulated something more so than Alex Jones. Cause he lived on his own. Whereas Alex Jones was still living with Holly. So he, he might have, been a better way but yeah and and maybe it was just the fear of becoming uh, a prisoner again you know of the prospect mm. of, of going oh that's to, deep yeah he's a he's a great athlete he um jumps over a bunch of fences and he gets yeah. the best of loki twice both jumping out of the uh the treehouse and then again in the uh in the room um so there's that there's that piece of um of, of being disintegrated, not integrated. I, I think about how the almost the least crazy person, the least crazy acting person in like the entire movie, aside from like the police chief, is Holly. She she is so crisp mm-hmm. and like she knows exactly what she wants. Everything she does serves her overall objectives. She's she's crystal clear, mm-hmm. and. Um, more so than either of the kids sets of parents. Uh, more obviously more so than the 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 weirdos. Uh, even more so than than um, Loki. She's I, just ice cold. Yeah, I can't remember back to seeing it for the first time. But how early did you figure she was the bad guy? I don't think I knew for sure until um, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman gets there. I'm pretty slow and dim-witted, though, so 
that doesn't surprise me. I'm no, the type I, of guy. Same boat, Casey. I did. I'm the type of guy who follows the movie wherever it's going. I don't necessarily. I, I'm I'm really bad at, at putting those pieces if, together. If I like the movie, if I feel that the craft, you know, the craft is good, I I don't try that hard to figure it out. If it's a if it's a a more boring sort of thing, I I just start going crazy guessing and everything, and it can usually predict them pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, like if if it's sort of a, if I were to look, and that's the thing is I wasn't looking at this like from the outside like film view. I mean, if you if you kind of do the math and like, well, they've introduced this guy, it's probably not going to be him. So who is it? Who's left? You know, it, it, there's there's a certain logic to it, but but I mean, yeah, no, I was I was pretty much along for the ride right up until um, the last minute, and I and I think there's there's that piece of, of she's, she's, she knows exactly what she wants and she's pursuing exactly what she wants. And, and, um, Dover doesn't know what he wants. Loki Mm -hmm. doesn't know what he wants and they, they, they're, they're flailing. And, um, not to say like, obviously not to say that she's like admirable. She's on this satanic, horrible, monstrous quest, but like, she's so much more effective because she knows exactly what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think I'm going to wrap it up there, but, uh, by parting advice for you guys, something you need to remember is that a lie detector test doesn't work if you don't understand the questions. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. All right. Thanks for joining guys. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks guys. 